Welcome to the Mary D Show. I'm your host, Mary D, here to be your guide as we extract wisdom and life lessons from top CEOs, thought leaders, artists, spiritual luminaries, and wellness experts. My intention is to bring you value in every show that sparks an idea, helps you break a limiting belief, or encourages you to create thoughts that uplevel your life so that you can know from the deepest parts of your soul that everything you want is available to you and that abundance is your birthright. In 2018, I healed from breast cancer holistically after surgery without the use of chemotherapy or pharmaceuticals. I love biohacking and plant medicine and exploring spirituality and what it means to be in relationship with spirit so that we can feel whole and complete no matter what life throws at us. My specialty in the business world is strategy and leadership, and my gift to each of you is my ability to listen so that I can help others see themselves. In each episode, I want to sprinkle you with some hope dust, tickle your funny bone, and inspire you to find your inner roar. Get ready to live your most aligned, purposeful, and joy-filled life now, and enjoy the show. Thank you all for joining us today. I have my very special guest and someone who is, oh gosh, she's got my heart for sure. This is Brie Myshak, and Brie is one of the founders at The Breasties. Many of you have heard me talk about The Breasties. It is thebreasties.org in case you want to check it out and look it up. And we share some common things there in the community, which is we've all been impacted by breast or ovarian cancer in one way, shape, or form. And I thought I'd bring Brie on today because, Brie, we are going to talk a little bit about the breast cancer community and maybe a little bit about prevention. But more than that, I also want to talk about your dynamic of being someone who was such a badass in this like regular world of for-profit where, you know, you come from this world of media and you're an amazing editor. And then you have the switchover of trying to start and run a nonprofit, doing it for free. You had basically two full-time jobs and then making the transition. Because I think that there's a lot of folks out there who are CEOs in different stages, but one of those stages can be, hey, I'm still someone who works my regular job and I'm a boss there. I'm amazing at it. But there's this other thing that is calling me. There's this other thing that my heart is actually more invested in. And I think that like that conversation is what I'd like to touch on today. So can you talk a little bit about being in the for-profit world and what you were going through there from a mindset perspective. And then, of course, the breasties comes along and gives you this like new found passion, new sense of purpose. What in your mind, how was that going to transpire for you? Or is this something that took time? Were you like, oh, I'll do this on the side. I'll do nonprofit on the side and my for-profit will pay my bills. Like, talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, thank you for the warmest introduction. I'm so excited to be here with you, Mary. I'm so happy we're talking about this because I was reflecting back and it was about this time last year that I made the official transition to doing our nonprofit full time, as did the whole team, which was really exciting. But, you know, it's funny is I I think the biggest block for me was I never thought you could do a nonprofit as your main thing. I think I had a lot of 
reservations around like what a career should look like. And I had a very like binary way of thinking about success and career and climbing the corporate ladder. I think that's just what you're indoctrinated into going to school, going to graduate school. Like you think your future has to look one way. And I think that for me was the biggest thing I had to work through doing our nonprofit for five years as our passion project on the side, you know, after hours and on the weekends. You think that's just what it has to be. You know, how could something that you love sustain you, especially replace a career or become your career? So for me, my dream for so long was to be an editor, was to share stories, was to climb the way up to editor-in-chief one day. So I was very much on that track. And it was right about when I was like promoted to an editor for breast and gynecologic cancer that it hit me that I didn't really want to be doing that where I was. And that there were a lot of gaps that I saw in the media space, especially in the health journalism space, that weren't being filled or were being filled in in, an authentic way. And that came especially when it came to sharing patient stories. There's a lot, in my opinion, of exploitation of patients in health journalism. And I wanted to not be a part of that anymore, but also look at better ways to bring patient voices to the forefront in an impactful way that's empowering for the patient, but also for the organization. That was a big part of my personal mission in going full-time with the Breasties, but also just a block that I had to work through, that you can take the bits that you love and do it in a more meaningful way. So yeah, I'm so grateful that it's been going that way. But I think even just growing up, my mom passed away from breast cancer when I was really young. And I think a big piece of me has always wanted to contribute to the breast cancer space in some way. But my partner actually reflected this back to me where he said, you know, when I met you, you said, when I retire, I'll start a foundation. I'll do something in her honor. And I think my brain always associated giving back and contributing as something you do later in life. Once you've accomplished this goal, it can't be your main thing. And so it was cool to see, wait, I'm, I'm doing it now. And it's more incredible than I could have imagined. Yeah. I want to congratulate you because obviously I've had the benefit of sitting here in the background and being able to dive in with the breasties for a few years now as well. And it's been amazing to watch you work. And I really want to congratulate you on all of the success around like the launch of the peak. That is such an amazing resource for the breast cancer community. Can you talk about the peak a little bit? Like where was it inspired from and like what's in store? I love to talk about this. And shout out for Mary being such an incredible board member of the Breasties. We really could not do what we do without incredible mentors and advisors. But we launched the peak. It's actually been something that we've wanted to do since we started. Actually, even before we started as a nonprofit, we originally thought we were going to start a media site and we didn't really know. We didn't really see a nonprofit in our future, but that was actually the first step we took was the nonprofit step. So we kept coming back pretty regularly to the question of like, how can we share stories? How can we make it impactful? How can we share resources? So anyone in the community knows, and really just anyone knows that anytime you go to a doctor's office or you learn of something, or especially in the medical realm, the first thing you do is Google it, right? You look for resources and you go down that Google rabbit hole where you usually end up in a worse spot than you started, right? You're convinced that, you know, it's worse than the doctor told you and you have all this information and, and you don't know what to do with it. And so that was something that we've all experienced on the team at the Breasties, but also we knew the community was struggling with. So we decided we wanted to create a media site within the nonprofit that shared 
medically reviewed resources and information, as well as like experts in the community, new breakthroughs and research, kind of everything that I got really familiar with in my health journalism space, but then also have the other side of that be patient stories. So really like the patient voice, sharing experiences that other people relate to in the community. So we launched that, I think, in May of 2021, but it's been a little over a year. We started by really doing community stories. So we had people submit experiences of everything from being pregnant while diagnosed to overcoming mental health in relation to survivorship. So really a a wide range of experiences, everything about what it's like to be on the preventative side and the active treatment side, survivorship. Stage four, caregiving, we really wanted to cover a wide range. I think when we first mapped it out, we had like 50 categories that we wanted to touch on and we had to reel it in and start with our top 10. It keeps growing. I think we launched with over 30 pieces. And then following that, we really started, I would say in 2022, branching into medically reviewed resources. So doing like, you know, here's the top 10 research publications related to breast and gynecologic cancers that came out this year. And here's what you need to know about them and pulling out that information to kind of like help empower people reading our resources, as well as new surgical techniques, interviews with experts who are doing breakthrough surgeries, breakthrough research. So kind of that wide range. And I would say now we have, we're still kind of growing the medically reviewed side of it, but we're we're hoping to expand it even more in 2023, as well as continue to do empowering patient pieces. Yeah, I love that Dr. Ann Pellet is part of the board here at the Breasties and is an amazing doctor who is like in the work because I think that's so important. And so having her on the team, I think, has been amazing as well. And then knowing what we know about gene testing and all those things. Let's talk about that a little bit because I think people are fascinated by their genes, right? Because they're our operating system in this interesting way from a very cellular level. And I think some of you may be surprised or not surprised out there to know that there are already gene mutations that exist that actually get produced, like a mutation that is added on. In Florida, there's a couple doctors. They've been around for, I'd say, at least 10, probably 20 years now. I'm trying to remember the last time I looked them up. It was a really long time ago. But you can actually go there and they will, through IVR, they will look at the eggs and they will actually manipulate them so you can change like your baby's eye color, your baby's hair color. You can choose your gender, male or female. I think that's fascinating, but that's also very superficial, right? When we talk about a mutation and, and how genes can be manipulated to create these differences. But how in the breast cancer community can genes be manipulated for good? Can we talk a little bit about that today? Absolutely. Yeah, no, it's such an interesting space, especially to see it change just over the past maybe few years that we've been involved. But I'll start with for myself, growing up with a strong family history of breast cancer, I was well aware of my increased risk. But really in meeting the community, I learned about genetic testing. And I very single-handedly only knew about the BRCA BRCA gene in relation to Angelina Jolie and all the attention that she brought to the gene in 2008 when she wrote an op-ed in the New York Times about her decision to have a preventative mastectomy. But it was really, in my opinion, her sharing this that brought so much attention to genetic testing in relation to cancer risk. 
And so when I went underwent genetic testing, I was hoping to have the BRCA gene because I wanted that like solid information that had been created in response to all the attention being brought to it. And I was actually really disappointed when I got my results and I learned that I was BRCA negative and I have a, a lesser known gene variant called MUTYH. The only reason I knew that is because I did a 40 panel test, which tested, you know, 40 different variants at the time, which now I think is even more. So for myself, I'm in a gray area where they don't know if that increases risk or not. I'll probably redo testing every few years. But for someone who does have solid information, so there's a handful now, in addition to the BRCA BRCA gene of other variants that significantly increase breast cancer risk as well as other cancer risks. And if you are found to have one of those through genetic testing, and then if you decide to you know, grow a family in the future, you can, in your process through IVF, test the embryos for that gene variant and choose to only implant the embryos that don't have that gene variant. Theoretically, if you have a family history of breast cancer and you find that you have the BRCA BRCA gene, you could choose to end that family history in the next generation. Amazing. That's amazing. So I don't think we mentioned this, but when you have the BRCA gene mutation, if you grab a tray and looked at your eggs, you can actually see which ones carry the gene and that way, obviously remove them so that you don't pass it on. But the likelihood of passing it on, I believe is 50%, right? Yes. 50% if you have the gene. Yeah. So interesting. So I didn't know about gene testing on this level. I had heard about Angelina Jolie. And I think that at the time, because I wasn't personally affected by breast cancer, it's one of those things where it's like, why would this perfectly sensible woman whose body is full choose to have a double mastectomy? And I think that's a normal thought that a lot of people would have, especially if they don't have any baseline or reference points to breast cancer at all. Yep. Versus being on this end of it of like, oh my gosh, this is like not the train you want to be on. And if you are, especially if you can know or you already know, like for you, you already knew that women in your family were affected by breast cancer. Same for Angelina Jolie. She knew like she lost her mom. And so this is her saying, how do I make sure I'm here for my children? Is there a way I can find out? So her doing that genetics testing, which was super, super expensive then. I mean, it's still pretty expensive now, but it was, I'm going to say it was probably even more expensive when she did it because it's now voluntary, right? The doctor isn't saying you need to go get this. They're just like, okay, well, we'll we'll appease you because you keep asking us to do this genetics testing for you. But it's empowerment. And I think that's part of it is, is allowing people to say, show me what's showing up in my framework here. Not saying that for sure it's going to happen, but the likelihood, especially for BRCA, is very high. I think it's 86 percentile in your lifetime of a breast or ovarian cancer or both. It's really yeah. high. So I would say that if those statistics were showing up for you, then it might be worth it to actually go, hmm, maybe something preventative here would feel really good for me. And or also doing the test, seeing if I have it, because if I want to know whether I'm going to pass it on to my children or not, now I can also make some choices of not passing it on, whether I do or don't have it and go from there. So I think there's a lot of empowerment that can happen with that knowledge. When I was diagnosed with breast cancer back in end of 2017, I definitely referenced Dr. Google for information on my diagnosis. And it was horrible because there's 
so many kinds of breast cancer. There's like thousands. And it was hard to know which one was the one they were telling me I had. I know that the nurse called me and said it's invasive ductal carcinoma. And that gives you a, a little like niche of it, but it still doesn't really tell you about what it is. And because my dad and my grandfather both passed away from prostate cancer, they were like, you need to go in for gene testing and your yeah. insurance will cover it. So that was at least from the medical system, a great like red flag of, hey, we actually want you to go get gene tested because this actually could be in your family history. And it was fascinating because like you, Brie, I did not have the BRCA gene, but what I did have is uh, CDH1, which mm -hmm. is also one that's predisposed to prostate cancer, which both my dad and my grandfather had. My dad had no sons. With that, we couldn't test anyone other than myself or my half-sister who carry his genes. And CDH1 is what came up for me. And that one is like lobular cancer, prostate, and I think one other thing, the breast cancer I had was not lobular. So even going into breast cancer, I still was like, yep, double mastectomy, let's take care of this. And we send our intentions out to uh, have it never show up again, especially yeah. with taking massive action. So I think that there's so many options that you get when you're empowered with this information. If you had a different gene mutation that came back and it said you have maybe something related to stomach cancer, the young person, I would say, what an opportunity for me and my doctor to work together to do some early screening. Also for me to really invest in my gut health. So the preventative things we hope that we can do. And also, of course, our emotional wellness and all that's tied up into those manifestations that can happen in the body. So I think that gene testing is so remarkable and incredible. I think it's come a long way. And the other thing that our listeners might not know is that through gene testing, once they do identify if you have any kind of gene mutation, you have the option of being put into a database so that if they have a cure or they have a medicine or they have information that comes out regarding that mutation, then they can notify you and you can become better informed and use that knowledge. And I know some of you might be saying, oh, am I going to be thinking about it because it shows up on this paper saying I could have it? Like, am I going to create that reality for myself by knowing it? And or you might also be saying, I don't want to know. Maybe if I don't know, it, it won't bother me. And so what would you say to those folks that are having some of those emotions, Brie? Because I feel like these are super valid emotions, but they're also like, what encouragement can we give those folks? I resonate with all of that. I think for myself, even just going back to what you said, I my gene variants connected to colon cancer risk, which is something I wasn't even thinking about. And now I started regular colon cancer screenings. So I think information is power. You can only benefit from information. It's also like what you choose to do with it. But also I like to reflect, you know, it was something I really struggled with. I was terrified to do my genetic testing. I remember getting my voicemail from my testing results and struggling to call them back because I was so terrified that I was getting this like life sentence. And then the call ended and I was frustrated that I didn't get solid information. So I think I like to reflect, you know, for my mom 20 years ago, she was misdiagnosed three times. And, you know, in being misdiagnosed three times, by the time she was given treatment, she wasn't able to survive. She wasn't given effective treatment. She wasn't even really given the option to have treatment because her diagnosis had progressed so, so quickly. And I know for her, if she had the opportunity to be preventative, if she had the opportunity to know her health history, to know this is a disease that's been impacting generations before me, 
And to know that there's ways to learn about that and be informed about that and be around for your loved ones and for your family. I know she would have done it in a heartbeat. That's what has motivated me and to think science has come so far and it really can be empowering and it's how you choose to use it. And also if you are afraid, which is totally valid, I was as well, that there is a community of people going through the same thing that are there to support you. Yes, I, I will say I feel like I got so lucky because I found the breasties so soon after my diagnosis and surgery. Part of me wishes I found them right before because there would have definitely been a few more things that I've since learned that I think would have empowered me even more. But I love that this is a very empowered community where we allow people to share their voices and we want people to feel seen and heard in addition to giving people really solid information. If you're going through breast cancer, if you are someone who has someone in your life that is affected by breast or ovarian or reproductive cancer, the breasties is such an immense community of just lovers and people who are or have been through the same roller coaster. And I think it's so important to be able to come and find other people you can have a touch point with. We do amazing virtual events. Gosh, Bree, I'm trying to think how many we had last year. Do you remember the number? Oh, at least a couple hundred, but it's hard to put a number on. Yeah, it's amazing. All just the virtual support that people get so that we can touch lives across the world. And I think that's the other piece of it that's amazing. Like the technology gives us the ability to create community in this really wonderful way. How's the slogan go? It's worst club, best members. Best members. We're here. We're here. And I think Genetic testing is such a space that's going to continue to change so much over the next few years. So it's just so refreshing to know that there's a community of people trying to understand it and make sense of it as well. I mean, when I found this random gene variant that they're not sure what it means for me, I've now met probably 10 other people with the same variant in the Breasties community. So I think there's so much, even just finding each other, you know, and seeing like, hey, what what type of screenings are you doing? Or like, hey, like, what has your experience been? It's just you feel not alone. Absolutely. Absolutely. And for those of you wondering how we connect all these wonderful people together, there's actually an app. There is an app. You can actually go to the app store and download, uh, I believe it's called the Breasties app. We'll drop that in the show notes so that you guys can reference it. But it's amazing to get in there and you can put in your information, where you're located. You can put in as much or as little as you want about your diagnosis or the person that you love's diagnosis and you can get connected with other people who are ready to share. You can get some daily doses of encouragement and of course, full access to the community. Also amazing community events. We have fundraisers. This last year we did gala, obviously had the app launch, which was also a community event. Just loving on the team. Shout out to all of our amazing sponsors who give the best goodies for those VIP bags. I love that. And just have a place to come. We also do some scholarships. Do we have live events coming up here in the future for uh, this year, Brie? Yes. Yeah, we just actually had a chat this morning. We have Camp Breasty coming back in 2023, which we're so excited about. So that is our largest programming that we do. And pre-pandemic, we had our first camp for over 500 community members. So we're hoping, I'm hoping to double that if we can find a campsite that fits enough people because last time we had camp, you know, the space filled up in, I think, two weeks, the amount of tickets that we had. So we're hoping to be able to fit more community members and have some of the best programming that we've ever had. 
Yes, agree, agree. I remember Camp Rusty well, and oh my gosh, so much fun, so much community, and such an amazing place to come and find your breast friend, as we would say. So Bree, talk to me a little bit about the things that you do for yourself from a, a self-care level, because I, I know you've done some yoga teacher training this year, and I think you're close to wrapping or you're already there. Talk to me about that. Like this is another like love and adventure from like a health and wellness standpoint. And then I want you to talk a little bit about cryptocurrency. And it's so funny. I, I always joke with Allie and Paige. I'm like, how did I become our resident cryptocurrency person when I feel like I know nothing? I just have like a distant relation to someone really or a close relation to someone really involved. Self-care is, I think, definitely the thing that has been one of the most difficult, especially really since we started the organization. I remember seeing a statistic a few years ago that said something like, I might get it wrong, but something to the effect of burnout in public service takes double the amount of recovery in any other industry because it just takes such a toll on you. And, you know, I know that's such a wide reaching category, but I, I remember that hitting me. And until really our involvement with the breasties, I'd never experienced burnout to the degree that I had, you know, just even just being at our events, at our retreats. I mean, we, we love being with the community, but it takes so much, you know, there's so much grief that people are working through. There's so many triggers that people are working through. There's so much of your own grief and your own triggers that you're working through your own fears. I remember I struggled so much the first few years because I didn't know what I was doing yet with preventative surgery and I was getting so much information just thrown at me of, you know, worst case scenarios, best case scenarios, and here's what to do, here's what not to do. And I just remember feeling so overwhelmed and kind of like an imposter of like, how can I be involved in this community, but not know what I'm doing? Still had so many wounds around my mom passing that were just being opened every day in the nature of what we were doing. And then also just like a shortage of time, you know, of, well, I have to now go back to my nine to five focus. And this is what I can only think about it after 8 p.m. And we would have calls late at night and retreats on the weekends, flying places all the time. I look back and I don't know how we did it. I still don't know how we do it. I would say each year we get much better at prioritizing our care. I would say this year more than ever, every time we have events, we feel so burnt out and so low. As Mary knows, our past three events this fall were just, they just took a toll on us, you know, coming back from the pandemic and having so much to figure out and ask from the community of, you know, here's everything we want and we need and, and us wanting to create deli and deliver that. We joke and say that when the community says jump, we just say how high. And that's always been our North Star. But we're learning, I would say now more than ever, that you have to also factor in your sustainability or you won't be able to support the community for long. So we're really working on that. As a team, it really just looks like prioritizing rest, prioritizing recovery time, which we never knew how to do before. We would get off of these weekends, get back late at night and have, you know, early Monday morning calls before we all went to work on Monday. So it was very much burning ourselves out. So I'd say prioritizing rest as a team, prioritizing boundaries as a team, bringing in experts for lots of things that we're not experts on ourselves. You know, we never set out to create an organization. So we're learning what that entails every day, putting people in the right seats releasing control. I think it's also hard when you start something to pass things off or to empower other people to help with things. And we're really leaning into that this year. But I would say personally, I know Mary's like, finally, only <laughs> 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 in five, four or five years. But I would say personally for myself, just having more time back has been huge. I made a promise to myself that when I left my job, because I was feeling my self-care had just 
been such a low priority for myself for so long, especially while working. I was like punishing myself of like, oh, well, I only have this much time. I have to give it now to the breasties or I have to give it now to all these commitments I have. I can handle not being a priority. That's fine. And that went on for several years. So I think leaving my job this time last year is when I said things are going to get busy again, but I want to make sure I do certain things that are really important to me this year. And it's things for me that aren't the most comfortable things. Like I want to learn certain new skills. You know, I don't want to just like sit and be a couch potato as much as I want to. And there's time for that. I really wanted to develop new skills that I knew had a learning curve that I knew took investment in time and even financial investment. So I just made that commitment to myself and really got into writing. I'm doing some writing workshops. I want to work more in my personal writing, some personal writing projects. And I really want to learn Spanish. So I've been taking a lot of Spanish classes and just working on that, which is also uncomfortable. It doesn't feel great to like be back in a class setting. And then another one I had was I really wanted to develop a strong personal yoga practice and doing that through yoga teacher training, which is like a six-month commitment, which has been crazy because it, it started right during our events in the fall for two months, really, really regretting signing up for that. And even my co-founder was like, why would you do this now? But I knew if I didn't do it, you know, it wouldn't happen. There's always a reason not to. So yeah, so those were some of the things. But yoga teacher training has been incredible. I would say like foot in, foot out student in class. Like I would go out of convenience. I would go like if I had a lot of free time on a weekend, I never had like a strong personal practice, but I loved everything I was learning. Mary and I have a really great mutual friend, Allie Lyons, shout out Allie, who became a yoga teacher a few years ago. And so learning about her journey really inspired me and just seeing her growth through yoga and becoming a teacher has been incredible. So I just committed and I've met like truly some of the most beautiful people. And I also recently moved to California. So it's just been such a great community to be a part of. Yes. And yes, all delicious. I love all of that. And I love that now I feel like I can for sure not just invite you to retreat, but invite you to facilitate yoga movement. We'll see. If I, if I pass my test in three weeks, we'll see. Uh, that's in the future. That, like, it showed up for me. So if you, face, you didn't know that yoga was for you, that showed up for me. So you get to show up for me in your practice of yoga. Free. <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. I mean, I've definitely gone into yoga training with the lens of our community, which has been cool because yoga was really the first time I felt safe in my body after surgery. Like it's such an accessible form of mindfulness, of yes. movement. And, you know, I've been shocked to learn. I, I don't feel like I'm great at yoga postures, but that's only like 20% of yoga teacher training, which is crazy. It's, you know, so much of it is about mindfulness, is about the philosophy, the anatomy. I just feel like I'm, again, back in school learning so much, but grateful for everything. And I mean, one of our first activities we did was like a manifesting activity and, and burning the paper that you wrote your fears on, which is what we used to do in our first retreat. So I was just like, oh my God, this is so full circle. We're doing like trauma-informed lessons, social justice lessons. So, so much that I'm bringing back to our work with the community and with the breasties. That's amazing. I remember being six months out of surgery and I still wasn't fully comfortable laying on my stomach, but I really wanted to get back into a yoga practice. So I go to yoga and I swear it felt like every pose was face down. And I remember trying to get down on the floor and I just, I felt so defeated. I felt so defeated to sit in this class because I couldn't, I just sat up 
And I was like, oh, well, yeah, this isn't great. I'm still so uncomfortable in my body. Are my boobs going to explode if I lay on them? Like I just had all these crazy thoughts of trying to get back into practice. And that was when I went and found a yoga class that was specifically for breast cancer survivors. And I was like, okay, now I'm going to go into a room where they understand that maybe laying on my stomach is not going to be the best move for me right now. And I remember walking into that room for the first time and almost immediately, I was like two minutes late for this class. They were already in a pose. I roll out my mat, I get into downward dog and I just start crying. And it's just the release of energy. It was relief. I'm like, I'm in a room full of people like me and I'm safe and I can let all of this go. And they're probably not going to ask me to lay down on my stomach. Yes. No, I love that. It's empowering. Yeah, it's it's true. It's different. You know, I love that. It's so true. I I still think about it all the time. I think, you know, it's funny that you say that. I even just like learning about like hip openers in class. It's like your body stores so much trauma is one thing, right? But then your body can still be physically recovering is another thing. And I still struggle. I struggle in downward dog. And I think I always will, like just having upper strength mobility like that. And I've explained that now to my teachers and they're like, whoa, it's so interesting to know and to think about that. And I do want to find more ways to apply it to our community. But there's certain things that just aren't always going to feel good, but it's like, that's okay. And I think I've learned, which I've been so grateful for, is yoga was created from the royal family in India to keep young boys occupied. So a lot of the postures were created for very skinny boy bodies. (laughs) adolescent boy bodies. And I remember learning that in class and being like, oh, wow. So a lot of these postures, poses, asanas, whatever you want to call them, are not actually accessible to larger bodies, different bodies, and that there's so many modifications and there's no like one right way to do a posture, which I find so freeing. So I'm grateful to have found a space that does that education to kind of change the narrative. Because I think yoga can also be very exclusive and be very not accessible if you're not in the best shape of your life or extremely strong or have incredible upper body strength. So yes, 100%. And I think learning about doing certain poses can really release a lot of emotion in a good way, but also in a way that can be overwhelming at times. Last week, we did a restorative class, which I was so excited because it's just supposed to be four poses for the whole class where you just lay on like your side. And I was like, yes, this is my type of class. And we had all these props and pillows. And one of the whole poses was to lay on your side with your arm up. And it hurt me a lot to lay like that. And I was like, I can't lay like this for 10, 15 minutes. And I just sat there like feeling so emotional and remembering all this trauma my body's been through. And similar to you, it's just like this like overcoming moment of, oh my gosh, and is this a safe space? So I think remembering that that's always going to be a piece of it, but like learning the modifications and that this is a part of your story and like you can still do yoga and you can still feel really good and have a personal practice. Absolutely. Yeah. I think so much of it is that mental gymnastics piece, right? It's the mindset that you're walking in with and be in a place where it's like not beating yourself up for what you maybe could have done a year before and now you're just in a different space. You know, whether you had an accident or whether you went through something like breast cancer, because it's true. Things change, you know, like even my range of emotion, like I feel like it's back for the most part. But I have these moments where I can feel a little like it feels maybe a little tighter or a little pulley. And part of that is just me making sure that every day that part of that morning practice is stretching out, doing my yoga, 
and being in that flow where it's like the body is moving so that we can move out any emotions that might be steps that we can move through and do what's good for us without beating ourselves up over what it should be or, oh, wow, you know, I'm not perfectly straight. I noticed for myself from left side of my body to right side, also very different experience when I'm going through yoga. They're just operate a little differently. One side's just a little stronger than the other and no judgment on that, right? No judgment on on that for myself of other than like, hey, I'm here, I showed up and this is my practice and that's what it gets to be. And if it's a rough day and I just want to lay on the mat and cry, I get to do that too because I practice. <laughs> yeah, it's a personal practice, exactly. And if it ever doesn't feel like a personal practice, then find the place or space that it does because it should be fully what feels good for you. Yes, absolutely. I used to believe that yoga was way too slow for me. It's like golf, so slow, never ends, nothing's going on. You know, give me volleyball, give me basketball, give me something that's moving. And as I leaned into a yoga practice and I also learned more about my own human design, I learned that actually yoga is perfect for me. It's ease and flow. It's those like slower movements that actually are benefits for me. And that is definitely proven to be true because it really does allow me to sit with myself and my thoughts and quiet my mind and be in this very mindful space, right? It's not like there's Kanye West going on in the background when you're in in your yoga class. So it's that peaceful time. I feel like that people can really sit with, recharge, and get what they came for. So yes, hot yoga is actually my preferred. We're learning about all the different types. I actually, I personally love a slow flow. Like I love like a restful practice, still a flow, but like a gentler yoga. So in yoga philosophy, there's something called the three gunas, which is essentially like three different types of energy. So like rahas is like energy that's like very fast action and movement and that could be associated with like more of an intense yoga flow and then there's like tamas which is more of inactivity like listlessness and then there's sattva which is like more of a harmony of the two and so what i've learned is from our yoga and teachers is that typically you'll have someone who's used to hot yoga who's used to really fast flow right that yoga that they don't feel like they're getting a workout unless they're dripping in a yoga class that they have a lot of rahas they have a lot of this energy in that if you take them to a softer yoga class, they don't really know what to do with themselves in a class like that, right? They feel like too many thoughts are coming to their brain and they, it can feel triggering. It can feel overwhelming because they don't want to be left alone with their thoughts. They want to be going through a flow that feels like they are getting the best work out of their lives. And the opposite is true as well, that some people really prefer the safety and comfort of a soft yoga class and they don't have a lot of that rahas energy. And to have that sattva, that in between, you kind of need a mix of both. And If there's one that you lean towards, there's usually a reason for that. And you should also have some of the other as well. So I'm trying to do some more challenging sweat yoga classes because I definitely lean more on the like gentle. I want a nice, easy playlist and some nice, easy flows. So it's interesting to think about. And it's interesting that you prefer the Rahas type of energy of classes. I prefer that when I think about what I like in terms of sports, right? That's my reference point, playing sports growing up. And actually, what I like is the slower version now because I've learned to lean in and I've mm-hmm. learned how beneficial it is for me to lean into the slower. So that's where like the Bikram hot yoga has been really great because it's also a lot of slower, like you hold the pose for a few seconds and before you go into another pose. So at least the class I go to is not 
fast in that sense. I think people would probably be dying if it were because it's so hot in the room. But it's one way that I actually get to really sweat it out. And it's also those slower movements that I can appreciate. If I want volleyball, I can just go play volleyball, you know, and get fast. I do Orange Theory a couple times a week. And so that feels really good for me to get like a fast one hour class in. But it also feels really good to me to get in this like slow stretch and the ability to sit with my thoughts a little bit longer, especially through some of the poses. Because if I'm sore or I'm injured, then it's different, right? Mm -hmm. It's those moments of like, okay, I've got other stuff to process. And also the emotional release. I would say that's the other side of it that people don't talk as often about. But there have certainly been times where I walk into class, maybe the day is challenging or something challenging is going on. And what a beautiful place to also release those emotions. And sometimes that means some tears on the mat too, along with some sweat. And that's okay. Absolutely. Talk to me about cryptocurrency. I feel like, you know, you've got some like good tips off of TikTok. I feel like that's partly like your generation too. And so for us old folks, we like to hear what's going on in your world and understand it better. So from investing in cryptocurrency, like what lesson has come up? What's been the biggest lesson that you've learned? Again, I feel like not the most seasoned in the crypto space, but I would say for me, the biggest lesson was like not being afraid to learn about something new. I've been involved in like the stock market a little bit because it's more traditional and it's a safer way to invest. And I had reservations around cryptocurrency where I really didn't want to learn about it for a while, even though a lot of people around me were pretty invested or learning or creating in the space. And I got really interested early last year because I saw that there was this movement going on of women in the space and BIPOC people in the space creating NFT collections that give back to causes that encourage more diversity in the space. And that was interesting to me. So it was like finding that niche within the cryptocurrency space is what really helped me get interested in it because I saw the value of, you know, the missions and the causes that people were creating. So I would say that was my open door. I just got excited about the community, about, again, what people were um, motivated to be doing in the space. So I just did a little bit of investing in these female-founded initiatives and these BIPOC-founded initiatives. And so I just got excited about the collections. These are primarily collections on popular cryptocurrencies, specifically Ethereum. And I just got involved with a few of these female-founded teams. I just started learning on Twitter, which is really where most people learn and where most people in the space are sharing and building communities. So just started spending some time on Twitter, learning about different collections, different artists, different causes. And then last year, we actually received our first crypto donation as a nonprofit which was a pretty significant crypto donation, which was cool to see that as well. It was cool to be able to benefit as a nonprofit from the cryptocurrency space. I felt like we were so progressive when we got our cryptocurrency. It's from a a collection called Crypto Titties. So at first we had to really win the board over with accepting a donation from an organization called Crypto Titties, but has a really beautiful story where the founder created this collection a spoof on Crypto Kitties, which was an, an earlier collection, which was really popular by someone else, but he created it as a joke. And then his mom was diagnosed with breast cancer. So he knew he wanted to do something good with it and got in touch with us. He's just been incredible. And 
the movement's been incredible. And, you know, the crypto space is definitely hurting right now, but I'm definitely, I'm personally encouraged by everything I've seen and just that this is a something that is here to stay. It'll just keep continuing to grow and, and progress and that there's different ways to find of what speaks to you in the space if it's something that speaks to you. Right. Love that. One of my first mentors always said to me, hey, best advice I can give you is buy low and sell high. So tis the season to buy low. My dad's an accountant. That's his favorite phrase too. So yeah, highly recommend. I'm definitely cautious right now myself just because, yeah, it, it definitely had a huge high and now it's you know at a low and there's lots of things going on. That's part of it, right? A little risk versus reward and weighing that out for yourself. So Brie, if there is one thing, just one, maybe two. All right, as many as you want, but let's mm-hmm. go with one for now. If there was one thing that you wish you had known when you got started, and when I say got started, we can take this a couple different ways. I'll start with breast cancer and genetics testing and all the things that are lumped in with going on that ride. What's one thing you wish you knew at the beginning of your journey that you know now? Mm -hmm. I love that. One thing I wish I knew, this probably isn't as like beautiful as I would want it to be, but truthfully, especially in my own journey, I would want to know that I would be okay. I gave so much time to picturing all the worst case scenarios, to even pre-genetic testing, thinking, knock on wood, I'm okay now, but you know, you, you never know. But I spent so much time as a kid watching my mom get sick and pass away, thinking that I wouldn't make it to 40. I wouldn't make it to a family. I wouldn't make it to all these milestones. As I grew and learned about genetic testing, I thought of the worst case scenario of all of that and then of surgery. And I think I wish I could just go back and tell myself there's so much life to live and you need to do everything you can to do that in an empowering way versus being in this fear based um, mindset all the time and this scarcity-based mindset all the time and that there's a way to open up that and also just have an incredible community that will help you through all of it. So I wish I could tell myself that and really believe it because you just spend so much time feeling like a victim to your story or your diagnosis or your surgery. So I would definitely tell myself that you're going to be okay and it's actually going to be like Something you stop thinking about eventually. You have other things to do. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. One of my friends is a vision coach and her phrase that she likes to say is hold the vision and not the circumstance. Mm. So for anyone that has a circumstance going on right now, whatever it is, whether it's health related or otherwise, hold your vision, not the circumstance. That's, I think, important to see the end results. And also change your story about what end result you think that's going to be. The truth is we are all going to die eventually. Mm -hmm. It's going to happen. This body runs out. It runs out eventually. How soon does that have to happen? We get a little bit of say in that, but also not completely. In the meantime, we can hold the vision for how we want to treat our bodies, how we want to treat ourselves, how we want to move forward in the world with the belief system that, hey, we're moving forward until our time runs out, taking care of business with the time that we believe we have. And going from there. For those people who are still in their work, their job, but they have a passion project or they their heart is feeling more called into maybe service around whether it's a nonprofit or just maybe a, a complete shift in the work that they're doing. What's something that you wish you had known before 
you made your decision to completely leave your job and be all in with the breasties? Oh, no. Something I wish I knew before I left my job was that you really just have to trust yourself. Nobody knows it better than you. There, I think, is so much that you can put up with in a toxic work environment, in a work environment that no longer serves you because you've been told that this is what you're supposed to do and you're just waiting for that next promotion. And it was really helpful for me to look up and see like, hey, I don't really think I want the lifestyle that I see of my peers in this environment. I don't really believe in the mission of what we're doing. And that only became really clear to me after a long time of questioning and a long time of uncertainty and a long time of doubting myself and not believing that I could do something independent of, you know, a corporate structure. And it's something I still doubt all the time. You know, I don't think we have things figured out. There's so much that we want to do with the breasties that we saw done incorrectly in our careers, that we want to be this perfect work culture, this perfect place. And it's something you have to work at all the time and question all the time. But just know that you should trust yourself and that you can do it and you're not going to get it right away. I think that's the biggest misconception. When we've made our first few mistakes, when I made my first few mistakes, I was like, oh my God, this is a sign. I'm not, I have to go back to working for someone else where you can just check out at the end of the day and starting your own thing. It's something you always think about. It's always on your plate. You always feel responsible for it. But to be able to make the impact that you want to make is invaluable and to do it with hopefully people that you really believe in and a community that you really believe in or a service that you really believe in is like, why not shoot your shot? That's wisdom right there, folks. <laughs> Trust yourself. Yes. Amazing. Bree, any final last words of wisdom that you'd like to share with our listeners today? I would just say, Mary knows this, but one of the biggest things we say in the community is to know your normal if you've never done a self-breast exam, please start. You can get resources for how to do one, but just simply checking yourself on the first of the month or the same day each month to check for any differences or changes and just really know your own baseline. And if there is ever anything that is suspicious to see a healthcare provider and to just know you're normal and not just when it comes to a self-breast exam, and, and this is for all gender identities, but also to just know your body, know your full normal, and just know that you're your own best advocate and nobody else will stand up for yourself like you will. Yes. Check yourself, folks. Feel it. Feel it. Feel it for your partner. <laughs> this is the time to reach out and touch someone with consent. <laughs> yes, always with consent. Yes. Check for everything. I have friends that like never go to the doctor's office. And I think it can be so scary, especially for people from different cultures, mm -hmm. to really start conversations and to know your family history. But to start. And if you're not sure where to start, please get in touch because we have so many resources and so many people that would love to help. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for being a founder. Thank you for your vision and uh, for doing just a kick-ass job of being part of the team and running the organization. I know it's not a, it's not always an easy job, but you do it with such grace. Thank you, Mary. Thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure. And thank you for all you do. And I'm just so grateful that our paths brought us together a few years ago. And thank you for everything you do for the organization and the community. Thank you for sharing your love. And of course, you. I appreciate it so much. I love it. Thank you for joining us on today's show. I hope that today's session inspires you to live an aligned life where you get to take complete ownership of your feelings and decisions to live in your truth. You can connect with me more at www.maryd.com. 
You can also catch us on YouTube at The Mary D Show. Head on over to Instagram and Facebook and type in at The Mary D and just look for the little blue check to ensure you're on my official page. 